have your Bibles, I'd like for you to grab them and turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. And we're going to continue our series on the miracles of Jesus. And by the way, I listened online to Pastor John's message last week. Uh, he did a wonderful, wonderful job. And we appreciate so much the Word of God came to us last week. I think he mentioned to you that I was only kidding uh, when uh, we were having a conversation, I asked him which miracle he had chosen. He said winning the lottery and something like that. And I said, well, how about just a, a, a coin in a fish's mouth or something like that? And I guess he decided, well, that'd be a good thing to preach about this week. And so he nailed it. We listened to it in the car while we were driving, did a great job. So today I want to talk to you about an entirely different miracle. It's found in Matthew chapter 12. You can also find this miracle recorded in Mark chapter 3 and then also in Luke chapter 6. So it's recorded in three of the Gospels. We're going to read through the one in Matthew today for, for our message today. And let me just begin by making this statement that I want you to get in your spirit. And it is simply this, that every day is a good day to do good. Let me say that again. Every day is a good day to do good. And we're going to get that and see that in our message today. Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 9, it says, Moving on from there, he entered into their synagogue. And there he saw a man who had a shriveled hand. And in order to accuse him, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he replied to them, Who among you... If he had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out. A person is worth far more than a sheep. So it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. Then he told the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored as good as the other one. But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might kill him. Another version says how they might destroy him. So the Pharisees were out to get Jesus for working this miracle on the Sabbath. Join me and let's pray together and ask God to anoint his word. Lord, I know that your word is always anointed. Every moment of every day when we turn to your word, it is anointed to do a work in our life that only your word can do. I pray today that you've received our worship and our praise. We've, we've given our best effort to sing to you and lift up the name of Jesus. And now, Lord, we want to come to your word and we want to quiet our soul and we want to energize our spirit by hearing the word of the Lord. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. So today I pray that you will anoint this messenger today. Help me to say the things that need to be said, to say it appropriately. Lord, let the method and the message be right on target for what we need to hear today. And Lord, in a few moments when we come to this altar for prayer, I pray, Lord, that you would work miracles among us, those who are in need of a special touch of your spirit, that you would do it for them today as we ask you and give you glory for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, I want to begin with this thought in mind, and it is this. You will never find a miracle in the Word of God that Jesus did that did not have 
purpose. He always has purpose in everything that he does. He has purpose in what he's doing in your life. Now, you might not like what he's doing in your life, but if you will submit yourself to the work of his hand, I guarantee you that there will come a day at a point in time when you will have your eyes enlightened and you will say, ah, that's what he was trying to do in me. And so we need to begin study of this miracle with that thought in mind, that Jesus had a purpose in mind in this setting. And so there were three things that he really wanted to talk about and do in the midst of these people that had met in the synagogue on this particular morning. And the first thing that he wanted to do is he wanted to touch on this issue of legalism. Now, we don't even like to say that word legalism because it carries with it a negative connotation, doesn't it? I don't know anybody that ever speaks the word legalism that has a good feeling about that. But the reality is, is that the church world must be careful that we do not get caught up in a spirit of legalism that prevents God from working in liberty among us. The reason that God hates legalism so much is because it is a mindset that is purposefully uh, focused upon a man's wisdom, a man's rule, a man's law, guidelines and structures that are made by man that may not be according to the Spirit of God and the law of God and the Word of God. You see, when we get a legalistic mindset among us, then it prevents God from doing in us what he wants to do freely and in a spirit of liberty. Now, how many of you know that the Bible says, when the Lord sets us free, we are free indeed? doesn't say that we're bound up and that we are, we are obligated to do the laws of the Old Testament and things of that nature. No, the Bible says, he that is set free is free indeed. And so there are a couple of things that Jesus wanted to get out of the way before he worked this miracle. And the first was he wanted to approach these legalistic Pharisees with the reality that they were walking in a spirit of legalism. Now we find that Jesus did seven miracles on the Sabbath. Now he chose to do them on the Sabbath because he wanted to tell the Pharisees, if I want to do a miracle on a Sunday, on a Sabbath, I can do that because I have the liberty to do that. And you can't prevent me from doing it. And you can't stop me from doing it. And these Pharisees were angry at him for doing that. The first time that they got crossways with Jesus was when in Mark chapter 2, the disciples had been caught by these Pharisees picking and eating grain. Now, the Pharisees didn't mind that they picked the grain. That was within the law that was found in Deuteronomy chapter 23. It was okay to pick the grain, but what caused them to get crossways with each other is when the disciples took the grain in their hand and rubbed it together like this so that the grain would release from the stalk and they could eat the grain, the Pharisees said, you've broken the law. 
not because you picked the grain, but because you rubbed the grain between your hands, which is work, and you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. And that was their point. And so they got crossways with the disciples and with Jesus. And that was just one example of when Jesus did a miracle on the Sabbath and, and did things on the Sabbath that did not set well with these Pharisees. And so in another, uh, on another occasion, which is what we're looking at today, the Pharisees were upset about the legalism or the, 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 the fact that Jesus would not pay attention to their legal laws and they were debating him and trying to find a way to trip him up. Now look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 10 through 12. Matthew chapter 12, 10 through 12. It says, There he saw a man who had a shriveled hand, and in order to accuse him, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he answered to them this way, he said, Who among you? If he had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out. He said a person is, with, is worth far more than a sheep, so it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. So Jesus responds to them by saying, well, let's look at your own lives. If you're going to question me and the activity of my life and ministry, let me ask you about yourself. Let me look back. You look in the mirror and, and see yourself. He said, how many of you, if you had a sheep that fell into a pit, would not go and rescue that pit, uh, that sheep from the pit on a Sabbath? He said, here's what you're doing. He said, I know you would go rescue that sheep. He said, but what you're doing is that you are holding that sheep in higher regard than you are man. And man is worth more than the sheep in the eyes of God. I know people that, you know, have pets that they, you know, they, they eat steak for dinner. You know, I mean, they, they love their pets so much. It's like, you know, my, my pet, he, he's, I like my pet better than I like my husband, you know, or I like my pet better than my wife. And, I, and I, I've had people ask me to come pray for their pets and lay hands on their pets and all that. And I've done all that through the years. I really have. I have, I have dedicated puppies to the Lord. <laughs> I mean, people look at their pets and they feel like these things are the greatest things on the earth. And listen, I've always been a pet person. I like them. I've got a dog. I've had dogs through the years. Uh, they're my friends, but they are not the most important thing in my life. I'm going to make some of you mad, so just hold on. But don't, don't, you don't really get mad at me. Forgive me later. But your pet will never be worth more than the individual that is sitting right next to you. See, pets do not have a spirit. They have a body. They have a soul. What's a soul? A soul is that place in us that creates decisions and, and houses our personality. It, it makes us what we are and act the way that we act. But a spirit is where God lives within us. A dog can't be saved. A dog 
cannot go to hell or go to heaven. They, they just don't have the capability of that. They have body and soul, but they don't have spirit. There's only one animal on the face of this earth that has a body, soul, and spirit, which is a place where the Spirit of God resides, and that's you and me. It's mankind. God made man in his own image. So what he was saying to them is, is that you hold your animals in higher regard than you hold these people who are in need. So legalism then is condemned because of its negative, rigid boundaries which forbids certain actions under certain circumstances. In other words, what Jesus is trying to remind them is let's not put any limits on God. Let's not put any limits on what God wants to do in our lives. Let's don't put limits on what he is trying to do in us and through us because we are free. And that's the reason he does not like legalism. What we do not do may be just as wrong as something we do. Now, I don't know if, you, if, if you're like me, but I was raised in a church where we had a whole list of don't do this and don't do that, and you can't go here and you can't go there and you can't eat this and you can't eat that and you can't drink this and you can't drink that. And boy, I could write a song about it. It'd be a great country western song, don't you think? But we had a whole list of the don'ts. But what we do not do may be just as wrong as something that we do. I put that on the screen, if you will. I think it's up there. I want people to see this so they can get it in their spirit. What we do not do may be just as wrong as something we do. Uh, did you ever feel like that you needed to do a particular thing for someone? Or you needed to say a particular something to someone? Or you needed to forgive someone when you didn't really feel like it? And you knew it was the right thing to do, but for whatever reasons, you just chose not to do it. Can I tell you that the Bible says to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it is sin? That's hard stuff to understand. But what he's trying to get them to see is that living in the Spirit and walking in the liberty of the Spirit will free us to do things for people and in people and to say things to people that need to be said at the right time so that blessing can come into their lives. And when we don't do it, when we dam up the flow of the Holy Spirit, then it prevents God from being able to do in someone else what needs to be done. And so Jesus has come against their legalism. Now listen, if legalistic principles forbid the practice of good, then the legalist must be prepared to justify the evil. And let me explain to you what I'm talking about. If I know that someone needs something, and I have the ability within myself to do it on their behalf or for them, and I choose not to do it, then because I am a legalist now, then I have to also be willing to say, here's the reason that I'm not going to do it. And then I have to justify my reasons for why I didn't do it. 
And so what happens is, is we put ourselves in a position where we have to justify sin. Because he that knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it is. And if I choose to commit sin by not doing what I know I should do, now I also have to justify to you why I'm not doing it. And so legalism is, is a, a principle that forbids the practice of good, and then I must be prepared to justify evil. And not only that, but legalism can lead to doing evil, which also makes me a hypocrite. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Did you ever hear anybody say, I won't go to church because it's full of hypocrites? Did you ever hear that before? I never did understand that one because we're all hypocrites. I mean, let's just be honest about it. We're, we just all have that nature in us, and we have to keep it under the blood. And we have to allow the Spirit of God to drive that hypocr hypocrisy out of us. I mean, sometimes you say, well, why would you call me a hypocrite? Why am I a hypocrite? Well, because sometimes we say we believe something, but we don't live like we believe it. We don't back up our belief system sometimes by doing what we say we believe. Now, I, you know, I want, us, I want us to grow in our faith, don't you? I, I want to be, when I exit this world whenever it is, I want Jesus to look at me and say, boy, you were listening that time. You know, that time when the Word of God came to you and you didn't really want to hear it, and that time when the Word of God came to you and you felt that move in your soul and in your spirit that this is a word from the Lord for me that I need to pay attention to, and I know you didn't want to do it in the flesh, but you received it as a word from the Lord, and you made adjustments in your life, and because you did, I was able to take you to an altogether different level of spiritual living than you'd ever had before. And so Jesus was trying to break this bondage of legalism. Okay, so if he's going to break it, then what do they need to understand? What do they need to replace it with? Did you know that a vacuum in our soul and spirit very seldom ever stays empty for long? Because the enemy knows how to fill our empty spaces with evil. And so if we have an empty space, have you ever felt empty in your life, in an area of your life? You have to be careful that when you feel that empty place in your life, you better get it filled with the Spirit of God as quickly as you can. You got to get that thing filled with the Spirit of God as fast as you can, with the Word of God as fast as you can. Because if you don't, the devil will try to fill that with his evil spirits. One occasion in the Word of God, it talks about how that a demon is driven out and said, if you're not careful and if you don't turn to righteousness and holiness, that demon will return and he'll bring his friends with him. And so I want you to know that the devil is out to kill, steal, and destroy. And when he sees a vacuum in our soul and in our spirit, it falls our responsibility to say, Lord, fill me fresh and fill me new and fill me fuller than I've ever been before because I have a place in my soul that is empty and I need to be full of you. 
and so we have to be willing to do that. So he's, he's talking to them about their legalism, but then he begins to illustrate to them how to replace it with what we'll call liberty. Liberty. I want you to see that Jesus chose liberty in this instance. Now, liberty includes two ideas. The first is the freedom to follow established customs and the freedom to abandon them when the need arises. The freedom to follow established customs and the freedom to abandon them when the need arises. Now, the Lord made two choices to illustrate this. And the first choice that he made is that he went to their synagogue. Uh, Let me just say it like this. He went to church. He chose to. I'm not going to make anybody mad about this today. I'm really not. I've made up my mind. I'm not going to do it. But Jesus chose to go to synagogue. He didn't have to. I mean, can you imagine Jesus going to this gathering? Can you imagine the absurdity of the Messiah attending a gathering of individuals that were talking about the very one that was standing in their presence? Can you imagine what it would be like if Jesus were in this building with us today and he'd be sitting listening to our singing and listening to our songs and and watching us fiddling our thumbs until the preacher's done preaching and we can go eat chicken and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus is in the house. Can you imagine how absurd it would be to say, I'm glad Jesus is here today. He needs it. He needs to experience what He can experience here in the house of God. We're talking about the very Messiah chose to go to synagogue with those who were talking about him. Can you imagine him listening to teaching that he was the fulfillment of? I mean, they were talking about him. Can you imagine him being in that synagogue and somebody says something from the Old Testament scripture and Jesus just kind of smiles and grins and says, that's me. That's all about me. Can you imagine? It was pointless for Jesus to go to synagogue, but he chose to go to synagogue because he was was at liberty to experience that setting so that he could do a work in and among those people. So he chose to go to synagogue. Imagine him supporting a religious system that would soon become irrelevant with the advent of the church. Jesus was going to replace synagogue with the church that was filled with his spirit. Jesus was going to replace the Old Testament law with a new covenant that would be ushered in in his body and flesh. But yet he was there. He was choosing to go. Now, here's the facts. We can make the same choices. We can choose to do the things that we know God expects us to do and wants us to do. And when we choose that, there will be blessing involved or we can choose not to. And when we choose not to, (coughs) then it prevents Jesus through his spirit to be able to do in us what he wants to do. The other thing that he did is he chose to work a miracle on the Sabbath that day. Again, they didn't like the first six times he did it. 
And they weren't going to like it this day anyway. And you know what he said? He said, I don't care what you think. There's a purpose involved in me working this miracle today. I'm going to work this miracle on behalf of this man. And he's not having this conversation with them. He's just going about his business. He's just going about his spiritual duty. He's just doing what he came to this earth to do. And that was to work miracles among those who would receive them. You know, I think sometimes that we get carried away. We're trying to explain to people why we do what we do as a church. I, I don't know that we need to explain to anybody. I think we just need to live in the Spirit. I, I don't think that we need to explain to anybody why we choose not to cuss everybody out. I think we ought to just stop cussing everybody out and live in the Spirit and bless everybody in Jesus' name. Because it's not our explanations that are going to impress them. It's the way that we live and walk in the Spirit. Because when we live and walk in the Spirit, then it gives God the ability to use us to spread His Spirit among this world. So He chose to work miracles. So to heal on the Sabbath was unusual, but it was not unrighteous. Jesus would never do anything that was unrighteous. There was no sin in him. So if he did it, it may have been unusual, but it was not unrighteous. And let me tell you, there are some things that God wants to do in your life that you won't be able to explain. There are things in your life that God wants to do that you won't even need to explain. All you need to do is just say, Lord, I receive it. Man, if you're going to give it, if you're going to pour it out on me in liberty, I receive what you have in store for me. I remember years ago, you know, people get filled with the Holy Ghost, and they'd say, well, I'll get filled with the Holy Ghost if I don't have to roll on the floor. I get, hold, I get filled with the Holy Ghost if I don't have to jerk and shout and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I won't get filled with the Holy Ghost because I don't want anybody to take my head and shake it or beat me on the back and say, turn loose, let go, and all that kind of stuff. I don't, I'll get the Holy Ghost if I don't have to do any of that. Let me just tell you something. I don't know how you're going to get the Holy Ghost. I don't know what it'll look like when you get the Holy Ghost. You may just sit there and cry. You may, you may jump up and do a dance on the back of the chairs. I don't, I don't know what you're going to do, but here's the heart we need to have. We need to have the heart that says, Lord, if, if you sent the Holy Ghost to this earth for us to have, then I want everything that you have for me, regardless of whether it looks unusual or not. You know, as we get closer to the coming of the Lord, it's going to be necessary for him to do more visible works in and among the church. I read an article not long ago that said the younger people of our generation, they don't want to go to a church that just sits and does nothing, but they want to experience a move of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying that we ought to get crazy and get out of order. Nothing that Jesus did was out of order or crazy. 
But there are things in the Word of God that we have access to through the Spirit that if we'll just say, Lord, release and loose these things among us. Lord, we want to see souls saved. We want to see our family saved. We want to see our kids saved. We want to see our grandkids saved. We want to see our kids called into ministry. I'm going to tell you, I've prayed for my kids since the day they were born. Lord, I don't want them to be an accountant. I don't want them to be a teacher. I don't want them to be a mechanic. I don't want them to be a computer engineer. I want them to be a man and a woman of God who is called by your Holy Spirit to to carry on the gospel message in this world. So I'm not going to pray for my kids that way. I want them to be whatever they want to be. I don't. I want them to be everything that God wants them to be. And if God wants them to be a preacher, why not? If God wants them to be a singer, why not? If God wants him to be a teacher, what in the world would be wrong with that? Let me tell you something. We need some men and some women of God who in these last days will say, Jesus, use me in whatever way you feel is appropriate for my life. Liberty does not give us license to live contrary to godly principles. We have to stay within the boundaries of the Word of God. There's a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 and 33. I want you to read it with me, if you will. It says, everything is permissible in verse 23, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. Some version says not everything edifies. Verse 24, no one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Now, I'm going to meddle just for a minute. Is that okay? And then I'll, I'll keep going. I don't know where we got this attitude in our world today where it's like it's all about me. If you irritate me, I want you out of my life. If you irritate me, I don't want to mess with you. I ain't got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. How is their life ever going to be transformed by the Spirit of God unless they walk among those uh, who are saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost? And we tend to target people that make us feel good. We tend to invite friends over to our house that don't challenge us and don't cause us to have to live above where we've been living. You know what I believe God wants us to do in these last days? We need to find the unlovable. And we need to find those who are most needy. And we need to say, I'm not here so that I can feel good about myself and so that I can, you know, relax and do all. I'm here for one purpose, and that is to represent the Spirit of God in the earth in these last days. I am an ambassador for Christ. I am his child. And if I've got the Spirit of God living in me, I need to find the dirtiest, nastiest, raunchiest individual that I can get close close to and say, hey, let me tell you something. If God can do to me what he did for me, I'm telling you God is able to save your soul too and, and rescue you from a sinner's hell and prepare you for a heaven that is ours because of Jesus Christ. I don't know, Pastor. I don't know about that. Well, I'm telling you the truth today. I ain't mad at you. Hope you're not mad at me. I mean, the last few weeks, I've been giving you plenty of opportunities. 
But listen, we've got to challenge ourselves to live higher. We've got to challenge ourselves to let God do in us the work that he desires to do so that other people can be blessed. Now let's read on. Verse 25. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience. Since the earth is the Lord and all that is in it, if any of the unbelievers invite you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you, this is food from a sacrifice, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I don't mean your conscience, but the other person's conscience. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? He's asking. If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized? Because of something for which I give thanks? And then he gives the answer. He says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of Christ. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that they might be saved. Church, that's hard stuff right there. The Apostle Paul is trying to get us to do things and live in a way that is not comfortable for us. If somebody comes and says, you know, I'm offended by that. Our society today says, I don't give a royal rip what you think. I don't care if you're offended. I live for myself. That's not what Paul said. He said for us to be careful for their conscience and not for your own. So I don't have any convictions about that. Because I have no convictions of that, I don't have to worry about that. Well, what if they have a conviction about that? What if their conscience is bothered by it and it's at a place where it could cause them to turn from the faith or refuse the faith because of the choices that you've made? Everybody with me today? Always remember when I'm pointing at you, I got three fingers and a thumb pointing back at me, as one old preacher used to say. He's saying that we should be concerned about their conscience. So if I know that what I'm doing would offend you, then I need to take that into consideration in my actions. Now, you know, I, I, we were kidding with Andrew Fernandes here about a month ago or so because he, he got called into drumming at the last minute and he didn't have any long pants on. He had shorts on and, and flip-flops. And he kind of snuck up the side and got in the cage, and he didn't really want anybody to see because he had shorts on. And so when church was over, he came to me and he apologized to me because he had shorts on and he was on the stage. I said, uh, I don't understand why you're apologizing. And he said, I was taught that you're not allowed on the stage if you're wearing shorts. I said, well, now listen, I'm not going to ask you who taught you that. I said, but I just want you to stop and look around our congregation. 
I said, we got men and women all across this congregation that are wearing shorts. And I said, a lot of them have flip-flops on. And I said, we have one dress code, and it is this. Wear something. <laughs> wear something. I understand where he's coming from, but because where I was raised, you wouldn't have ever come on the stage with shorts on. Matter of fact, you'd have never come in the church with shorts on because there'd be some little lady standing out front saying, oh, no, God, oh, ain't doing that. Out to the car you go and put those clothes on that are in the trunk of your car that you've been saving for an extra situation just like this. We didn't do things like that. Why? Because of the legalistic mindset of a church that cannot just be justified by the Word of God. And he said, you mean I can wear shorts every week to church? And I said, just come to church, brother. He's worn shorts every week since then. Because he has no conviction about whether or not he should wear long pants or short pants. Listen, if you need to email me this afternoon, it's rbaker at thespirit.life. I'll take your email this week. What I'm saying is, is that I don't wear shorts in church. You've never seen me preach in shorts. It would be a tremendous blessing for you to see that one of these days. I've never come to the pulpit in shorts. You say, why? Do you have a conviction? Nope. But I know a lot of people that do have a conviction. And their conscience would be bothered if their pastor were on stage in a pair of shorts and a tank top. <laughs> now listen, you don't want to see that ever. Just ask Donna. Trust me on this. You say, well, you mean to tell me, Pastor, that you won't wear shorts and a tank top because of somebody else? Absolutely. And because of their conscience and not mine. I'm at liberty to wear shorts. When I go home this afternoon and I get in this house, I'm going to take this off. I'm going to take this shirt off. I'm going to take these long pants off. I'm going to put my shorts on. And I'm going to go outside my house and sit on my deck and wave at my neighbors who don't give a rip whether or not I have shorts on on my deck. You say, well, you're going to split hell wide open. No, I don't believe I am. But what I'm saying is, is I've made a choice. I have the liberty to make the choice to choose not to do something that I know could be offensive to some. So do you understand what I'm saying? And Jesus is, you say, well, why don't you get down to the miracle? We came to hear about the miracle. I'm getting there. Part of this miracle had to do with Jesus needed to correct their mindset. And he took this opportunity to do so. Romans chapter 6 verse 15 says, What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And then he answers that and he says, Absolutely not. So we are to be careful in our liberty that we do not offend others that are not at the same place in their liberty as we are. 
This is mature Christian living. This is deep living in the Spirit. And it will take us up higher than we've ever lived before. And then the final thing that I want to point out to you is that Jesus chose love. Now, you already know this, but let me remind you that Jesus, everything he did was motivated by love. Jesus doesn't hate you. God's not out to get you. He loves you. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus loves you. He loves you passionately. And he loves you deeply. And he proved it in verse 13. Because the Bible says, then he told the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as good as the other. How did that happen? It didn't happen through legalism, because legalism would have said, you can't heal him on the Sabbath. It came through liberty that was seasoned by his love. Because it was the love of Jesus Christ that reached out to this man and healed him. You say, now, what about this man? Well, let me tell you a few facts about this. First of all, the miracle was undeserved. The man hadn't done anything to deserve it. There's no evidence of any faith on the part of that man. We don't hear him saying, I believe that you're able to hear me or heal me. We, he, there were no words of faith spoken. There is no evidence of any faith on the part of this man. There was no particular reason why this man was chosen o- over others that might have been there. The man did not request the miracle. He did not ask for it. He did not say, Jesus, heal me. He did not say, I need your help. Hey, listen, has Jesus ever done anything for you that you did not ask for? You say, well, Pastor, I, you know, the Bible says that ask this so that you can receive and seek and you'll find not and it should be done. You can't have not because you ask not and all that. That's all true. I'm not going to fall out with anybody by quoting those scriptures, but I'm just here to tell you today that there are times that Jesus just wants to absolutely blow your mind for doing things for you and on your behalf that you didn't even know that you needed. How in the world can you ask for something that you don't know is possible and you don't know is needed? This man didn't ask for anything, but Jesus said, stretch your hand out, and he healed his hand. It was a sovereign act on the part of Christ. It was a supreme act because when the hand was withered, it was withered, but when it was healed, it was as good as the other one. So Jesus did it right, and it was a public act, a public act. Everybody could see it. Everybody knew what Jesus did. Come help me quit if you will. Everybody knew. You know, that's my prayer for these last days, Lord Let this world know who you are through us. Lord, as we walk out this faith, let people see what you can do as it is working through us. See, Jesus couldn't say to this man, you're healed. I don't know how that happened. 
I don't know who did that. Man, that came out of thin air. No. Jesus had every intention to heal that man. And after he talked to him about legalism, and after he talked to him about liberty, then he healed him out of love. And the man was healed. I'm here to tell you today that God loves you so much that he is willing to work miracles in your life just like he worked this miracle in the life of this man with the withered hand. So what do we take from a message like this? Pastor, why are you preaching like this? Because what God has done in and through our church over the last 11 years, while it is wonderful and while we are so grateful for what he has done, it's time for us to move to higher ground. It's not acceptable for our kids to not be saved. It's not acceptable for our kids to walk around this earth with a rebellious spirit. It's time for us to start taking back our kids and taking back those who walked away from the Lord. It's time for us to get angry with the devil and start saying the Spirit of God must rise in me and take me to a higher level. And it starts with us. It starts with His church. I'm telling you, I want to be a part of a church that's always looking higher. I'm thankful for what he's done. But I want to be looking forward and looking higher and expecting all that God wants to do in and through us and for us. He's got great blessings in store for us. But we're not going to get there if we have and maintain some legalistic attitude that will prevent people from coming into the house of the Lord. So what are we going to do when sinners start coming in the door? Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do? I don't know. I remember a story told many years ago about Dr. Paul Walker, who pastored the Mount Perrin Church of God. He's, he's in heaven now. But he had felt like that the Lord had spoken to him and he said, will you receive those I bring you from the east and the west and the north and the south? Will you have them? Will you receive them? And Dr. Walker said, well, Lord, you know I'll take them. I'll take anybody. Let them come in. He said, I'm going to put you to the test, the Lord told Dr. Walker. The next Sunday, he was standing in the pulpit preaching. And some hippie came in the back door. You remember hippies, right? Everybody remember hippies? How many of you were hippies at one time? How many of you are still hippies at heart? Taking it to the streets. Hippie came in the back door. And he walked down to the front of this very elegantly designed building. And he came all the way down to the front. And he sat down right in the altar area crossed his legs and just listened. You could hear the gasps, they say, across the congregation of people going, oh my, what's pastor going to do? What are we going to do with this? And they said just a couple of minutes later, 
a man in the congregation got up from his seat and he walked all the way down to the front of that church where that hippie was and he sat down right beside of him and put his arm around him and expressed to him that Jesus loved him as much as he loved the other and he led him to the Lord Jesus Christ and over the next several weeks and months word got out that Mount Perrin will accept hippies and every week hippies started coming from everywhere they didn't sit in the back they didn't want to just sit they wanted to come all the way down front they would come all the way down front and for weeks and even months every time a hippie would come into that church somebody who was not a hippie would get up out of their seat and come down to the front and sit down beside them and put their arms around them and express the love of Jesus Christ to them until the whole altar was filled with converted hippies who had given their life to Jesus Christ. So here's what I'm saying to you. I'm saying it's not enough for us to just come here and have a good time and say, I love my church and church is good and we got good singers and we love our pastor and all that kind of stuff. I'm telling you, it's time for us to start fasting and praying for the community around us that need Jesus Christ in their lives and pray that whoever God chooses to send us, we will gladly receive them in the name of Jesus and introduce them to him so that he can work a miracle in their lives. In this man with the wither hand, he is symbolic of people whose lives are crooked and withered. And there are people all around us, in our households, on our block, at our job, that their lives may look good, but they are crumpled and they are wrinkled and they're in bad shape but we have the answer his name is Jesus some of you say I don't know pastor I don't know I don't know if I can take that I don't know hey don't let legalism get a hold of you don't let legalism drive your life put it aside and walk in the liberty of the spirit so I refuse to turn my nose up to anybody that God wants to bless. And I refuse to be upset with anybody that God decides to choose. I refuse to do that because I have not been called to legalism. I've been called to liberty. Now what does that mean? That means that you and I as a church, we're going to have to learn how to push the boundaries back so that we can reach people that don't fit our mold that don't look like we think they ought to look and we've got to precondition our minds to say whoever walks through that door doesn't matter what they look like doesn't matter what they smell like it doesn't matter what they talk like it doesn't matter 
because that person that just walked through that door is just as loved by Jesus as I have ever been. And we've got to be willing to push back those boundaries of legalism and say, if Jesus accepts you, then we do too. That's the kind of church that God wants us to be in these last days. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, we're getting ready to pray for the sick in accordance with your word. We're going to anoint them with oil and we're going to lay hands on them. We're going to pray for a miracle of healing in their bodies. But Lord, before we do that, I just want to thank you for your word. You know, early in this week when I knew that this is what I would be preaching, I knew that it's going to be one of those sermons that people aren't going to shout and they're not going to get those chill bumps and all that kind of stuff. But Lord, I, I stopped preaching many years ago for that kind of response. I'm just not interested in it. But what I am interested in, Lord, is building people around the principles of God as you build the church. I want to preach your word, all of it. I don't want to just preach those passages that makes us feel good. I want to preach all of it. Because when we hear it, it will build us into the church that you've called us to be. So thank you for your word. And thank you that there are men and women in this house today are receiving it in their spirit. And they've already determined in their heart and in their mind. I'm going to look my life over thoroughly this week. I'm going to start today when I get home. And I'm going to see if there's any legalistic way in me that needs to be put under the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to replace it with a spirit of liberty and love so that those around me can be blessed just like I am. And I believe it's going to happen. And I trust you to do in us all that needs to be done. And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Prayer team.